we're going to kick off this series, and if you haven't been with us for a while, um, this is kind of a natural progression through the through the New Testament that we've been we've been doing now for like over a year. Um, just to give you some background, we started in the Book of Acts, and we said we're going to look at Acts, and and we looked through it. I think we did an Acts series, chapters one through like I think nine, where Saul's converted, and uh, we looked at the birth of the church. We looked at when Jesus was here, he had been resurrected from the grave, and then he sent his disciples to go and expand the gospel and share the gospel with the known world. Remember, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Now, we looked at that, the beginning of the church, and then the church, they started doing that, and then the church started getting persecuted by a dude named Saul. And then we, we stopped that series in Acts, but really just continued it, and we called it the messenger, and we were looking at the life of Saul. Slash his name became Paul. And we just finished up that series called The Messenger, so we kept working through Acts to chapter 16. And if you've been with us, chapter 16 was about his second missionary journey. He had already gone on one mission journey, uh, mission trip. He had gone with Barnabas and they sailed all over and planted these churches. And then remember, this was the second missionary trip. And they're taking off and they're trying to spread the gospel in Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, yo, 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 time out. You're not going to Asia, you're going to Europe. And they end up going to Philippi, and Paul meets these people, these people that we're going to hear about today. And he, he gets like intimately invested in their lives. Lydia, who is this you know, kind of uh, businesswoman, rich lady, she's got all kinds of influence. She gets saved, little slave girl, gets a demon cast out of her. She gets slave, a jailer kind of a middle-class dude that was torturing them, uh, Paul and Silas in prison, and he gets saved, and they plant this church in Philippi. And so what we said is, I was talking in Georgia about this, I don't know, months ago, <clears throat> kind of looking forward, I said, this might be a good place for us to take a break from Paul's life and look at the book of Philippians, because the book of Philippians that we'll begin today is Paul's letter that he writes to this little church that we just read about. We had just read about how... Paul and Silas and Timothy, they started this little church in Philippi and it blew up and it did lots of cool things. And so I said, this is kind of a natural break for us to take a break from that. And let's look at the book of Philippians. It's a short book. You'll see it's just a few chapters. And there are lots of what I call, we're going to look at one later, coffee cup verses in this book. There's lots of verses that if you've memorized a verse in the Bible, there's probably one out of Philippians that you've memorized. There's lots of Lots of those little verses that you're going to say, man, that's powerful. He packs a lot of stuff in this little book. Um, and unlike Ephesians, if you were here in the beginning of Ecclesia, we spent a whole year working through Ephesians. Um, we're not going to have time to do that. Okay, I plan on trying to work through Philippians in the summer. And it's less chapters, but so there are going to be some places where we kind of like really press quickly through, and there's going to be some places where we kind of hover and really kind of dig into it and dive into it. Um, and so today we're going to try to cover, try, like I said, to cover 20 verses. Probably won't happen, but we'll see um, how well it goes. But Philippians, it's in the New Testament. So get your Bibles, get your Bible app or whatever. We're going to jump into it in the very beginning. Um, and I just kind of wanted to set that up there to kind of give you the background of it. Um, Philippians should be toward the end of your Bible. If you're in the New Testament, you know, kind of go toward the end of it there. Um, you'll find it there. Uh, we're going to jump in, like I said, and try to get this done this summer. Um, but if we don't, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But that's kind of the plan, nine or ten weeks, however long it takes. 
Um, we're going to jump into it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and it, it sounds very, very similar to the book of Ephesians. It's a very similar entry or beginning into the book, into the letter. Paul has some similar ways that he writes to these little churches that he's writing to. Um, and now, if you read in English or Spanish, I'm trying to do on the little line there. I don't know, it took me a long time to format that, so it's probably not going to happen very long. But anyway, um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, says this. It says, Paul and Timothy, so Timothy's still with him. We're going to find out this is ten years later. He writes this ten years. They're still together ten years later. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in, where? Philippi. So who's he writing to? He's writing to the saints in Philippi. Including the overseers and deacons. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, He's writing to the, what does it say? To the what? To the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. So, we talked about this at length in our Ephesians series. If you were not there, he is not talking about saints as you may think in the Catholic sense. Okay, In the Catholic faith, a saint is someone that is already dead. First of all, they're dead. These people were not dead. They were very much alive. He was writing to physical living people. Um, in order to be a saint in the Catholic Church, you need to have some kind of like two miracles happen in you. There's all of these different requirements to be called a saint in the Catholic Church. That's not who he's talking about. He's, it, you could replace to the believers in Christ Jesus at Philippi. To the Christians at Philippi. Okay? So I just want to clear that this is not some weird conspiracy where I'm trying to cover. This is to the believers at Philippi. When he says saints and he writes this often, what he means is to those that have been set apart by Christ Jesus. You, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been set apart. I have been set apart. We have been set apart as saints in the kingdom. You are priests and priestess in the kingdom. You are servants in the kingdom. You are bond servants in the kingdom. You are many things as a believer in Christ Jesus. One of those is a saint. So he's writing to the saints. He's also, like I said, he, it's also Timothy. Now we find out, this is ten years later. They left, if you remember, at the end of Acts chapter 16. They get arrested. Eventually they get out. I told you guys to read that. They go back to Lydia's house and they're like, okay, we've had enough of this chaos here. We're moving on. And they don't come back. There's no evidence that they even, that Paul ever gets back here, at least that I know of. But he writes a letter. Ten years later, he's writing to them saying, I love you, I remember you, I pray for you. And this is what we're reading. And Timothy is still with him ten years later. Timothy had a very important role in the New Testament. Very important role. You're going to see as we look at the New Testament, Timothy keeps popping up all over the place as Paul's right-hand man. If you know your New Testament, you know that there are two letters that Paul writes to him, right? First and second Timothy. These are letters Paul's writing to him saying, listen, here's how you need to lead. Here's how you need to pastor these churches. We know that Timothy was kind of Paul's mouthpiece. He would go and he would share news. He would share instructions. He would bring letters from Paul. He even led churches. He was the pastor of Ephesus for a while. He had all kinds of influence. and He was a young man. We know that. And Remember his, his mom and his grandma. There's all kinds of information about Timothy, but he's still in it. He sticks with Paul to the very end. And we're going to see some of that stuff eventually. And Paul, is, we're going to see here in a second... He's writing this letter from prison. 
He's writing, and not prison like you might think about. It was actually more a house arrest, but we, we will get into that later. He's writing this, waiting to see Nero, the most influential, powerful man in the known world at this point. He's waiting to see the emperor. He's, if you read Acts further, you'll find that he gets arrested, and then he appeals his case, and he says, I want to see Caesar, and all this crazy stuff happens. But he is writing this letter while he's in jail. He's on a house arrest in a rented house. In a rented house. He also writes several other books during this time. He writes Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. So, uh, there's lots of stuff going on here. Lots of stuff going on. He can have visitors. It's not really like prison, like you think, like a jail cell. He probably rented a house. He was allowed to have guests. We're going to see that in a second. He was allowed to preach the gospel. He was uh, waiting to, to see the emperor. We, we know from church history that he was eventually released, but then probably arrested again and murdered for the cause of Christ. But none of that really matters anymore. But this is where he's writing. He's with Timothy. It's ten years later. He's in prison. And he's writing to these people he dearly loves. That he dearly loves. Let's see what he says. And he gets right into the love effect, love effect right here really quick in verse 3. I think... Oh, there was a timeline. Sorry, I skipped it. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. So he's saying, I'm praying for you guys. It's ten years later, he's still praying for them. And he's planted lots of churches in 10 years. Lots of things have happened in Paul's life. And he's still praying for them. Verse 5, In view of your participation in the Gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident in this very thing, and this is one of those coffee cup verses, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is, this is a powerful coffee cup verse. If you, some of you are memorizing verses. Some of you have as a kid. This is maybe even one of them. This is a good verse. I mean, I saw this as literally on a coffee cup, right? Ephesians 1, 6. Being, look at what it says. Being, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Now, there are tons of more verses like this, but this one is powerful. Like, think about this verse. If, you, if you're struggling right now, God's got your back. Right? Think about that. If you're hurting, He's got you. He started. He's, if he has started something in you, he's gonna finish it. You can count on him. Like this is one of those verses that when you are in trouble, when you are struggling, when you are discouraged, that this is the type of verse that you need to read on your coffee cup and say, "Man, God's got this. He's got me. He's gonna take care of me." This is the type of thing that Philippians, the letter to the to the church at Philippi produces in us these types of verses it's kind of crazy they keep popping up and popping up and popping up and remember what he began he will finish we are unfinished some of us we get going good and then we fail back and we get going good and we fall back he's going to finish the work in you according to verse six now look what he says in verse five in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this had to do with financial participation. We see later on in the book of Philippians, in verse 15 of chapter 4, that they are, and I'll go there for you, Philippi, the church of Philippi, is the only church that Paul says 
financially supported him. Look at what it says there. If you've got your Bible, you need to scoop a few pages over. Philippians chapter 4. He says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So the church at Philippi, they prayed for him. They financially supported him as a missionary. They saw him as their spiritual father because he was. He had come along and, and brought them the gospel. And they were, they were grateful. They were thankful and they wanted to support his ministry. Verse 7, we're just going to kind of continue through this and look at and pop up some things that, or look at some things that pop up. Verse 7, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my, what? In my heart. He loved these people. This was Lydia. This was a little slave girl. Like he knew them well. Because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, think about that. They could not go like he could go, but what did they do? This church at Philippi preached the gospel by supporting a missionary that does. This is why we do Annie Armstrong offering. Because some of you cannot go all over the world. This is why we do um, Lottie Moon offering. Because our church participates in the gospel, spreading the gospel by supporting those that are out in the field doing it. Not all of you can go. Some of you go. Some of you go on missions. Some of you don't. You can give to do that. So you're preaching the gospel. You're supporting missions all over the world by giving to that. That's what this church at Philippi was doing. They were sending their man out to go and spread the gospel. Paul loves them. He loves them dearly. You can see it there. You can see it. You can hear it as you read it. He loved them. And in, in this book, we see like this, I don't know what it, like doting? Like just kind of, he's gushing almost over this church. And you don't see that anywhere else, at least I've not seen it anywhere else in the New Testament, where he just expresses this like love for the people here. It's like he's pouring out his heart saying, I love you guys. You're my friends, you're my family. It's a strong love. And he thinks back, ten years later, he thinks back to that encounter with Lydia and the craziness around it. And they, it, him and his whole crew end up living with her for a while and her family and her family gets saved and her servants get saved and all this crazy stuff. And he thinks back to that old slave girl who they said, shut up, come out of here. Right? And he thinks back to the jailer who he was there when the jailer was about to commit suicide and they were there in the mix of it and God caused this earthquake and Pastor Tyson and I were talking about this last week or the week before that, that the miracle of that earthquake was crazy because he's been there to Philippi. It was all columns everywhere, right? The whole city full of columns. And none of those columns fell in that earthquake, but the chains fell off those prisoners. It was a miracle. Obviously, it was a miracle. Paul was there with the jailer. They have these experiences together and they bonded together. Of course, he loves them dearly. Just like family. Like how our church is. Or should be. A family. Where He loves them. And he cares about them. And he has them in His heart. Verse 9, let's continue. 
And this I pray, he's continuing this prayer for them. And this I pray that your love may, what's that word? Abound. That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, this is a powerful prayer for His people. This is not just, hey, keep them safe kind of prayers. I know a lot of us, we pray that our family gets back safe. We pray for safety all the time. This is not one of those prayers. This is a powerful, that they would experience God's power and His grace and His mercy. He prays all kinds of things that their love would abound. And this is not just like love for tacos or the corn, which I do love, right? And yes, I'm talking about food again. Like, I love them tacos and I love that corn, but that's not the type of love that Paul's getting at here. This is that agape love. That love that's sacrificial. That's over, and he says, abounding love. If you were here for our Ephesians series, you remember the illustration of me pouring Tootsie Rolls all over Jason, I think. And I'm pouring Tootsie Rolls describing the love of God that is overflowing that, that Paul talks about in that book so much so that he couldn't even contain it. And remember Jason's throwing Tootsie Rolls everywhere. That's that same concept. He's praying that their agape love, that their sacrificial, selfless love would abound, would overflow into the people all around them. And look at what it says. I want you to look up at the screen and like just look for a second. What are the outcomes when, when he, he's praying that their love will overflow, but what are some of the outcomes that they will receive? What are some of the benefits that they receive when it does? Like look at some of the things that pop up there. Um, that they'll get real knowledge. How many of you would like some real knowledge or discernment? I, I know I would. I would love some real knowledge or some sincerity. That they would be blameless. They would be filled with righteousness. These are things that are results of that agape love overflowing in their life and in our life and my life and your life. And it's really kind of like this whole... My favorite verse is John 3.30. You must increase and I must decrease. This whole, like, more of God and less of me. That's what he's praying. He's praying more of God and less of you. He's praying that God would fill you and you would you know, empty yourself and God would fill you because the more God fills you, the more you can empty Him onto others and the more the Gospel reaches more people. It's this crazy concept that the more that I empty myself and allow God to fill me, the more full I get of myself. It's kind of crazy, this concept. It's weird. But it's true, and he's praying that for his people there. Verse 12, let's continue. Now, I want you to know, brethren, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, remember, he's writing from prison, and he's saying, it's all good, y'all, it's all good. Verse 13, so that my imprisonment is the cause of Christ, in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And that the most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. He's saying people are coming to Christ because I'm in prison right now. It's, it is a, this is a forward-thinking person here. Most of them have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Verse 15, Some 
to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, verse 17. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, drinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And here's, here's all of that. It kind of wraps up here in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. You cannot get Paul down. I mean, you cannot get this dude down. Do you remember a few weeks ago? Tortured and thrown in prison. And that night, him and Silas are what? Singing and praying to God. You cannot get this cat down. It does not matter what happens to this guy. It's like, he's like, it's all good. It's all for the gospel. It's okay. God's working in it. He's got it. Remember what he began in me? He's going to finish. He's like believing the own th- his own things that he's saying here. He's like, he's got this. God's got this. It's okay. People are coming to Christ. It's crazy as you think about it. All of the stuff that Paul experiences, he's now in prison. He's basically saying it's all for the advancement of the gospel. It's all good. It's all good, y'all. Because people are coming to Christ as he preaches in prison. And if you remember, he put himself there on purpose anyway. He's preaching in prison. Look at that highlighted verse there, verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Paul is not feeling sorry for himself for being in prison. In fact, he's in prison on purpose. He's there because he put himself there. If you read the rest of Acts, you see that he eventually gets arrested and all this crazy stuff and he gets beaten and all these things and he was easily able to be let go and he's like, I appeal to Caesar. Knowing that he would have an opportunity along the way to talk to the most powerful man in the world at that time. The Roman emperor, he says, it's just like in America, you know, you have a court case, you can appeal, appeal, appeal ultimately to who? The Supreme Court, you know, if it gets that far. That's what he was doing. He's like, I want to appeal to the Supreme Court. Because I know if I get in in front of the Supreme Court, I've got some people that have power that I can preach the gospel to. And I'm praying that I preach the gospel to the Roman emperor, whoever that is at the time, And this whole Roman Empire becomes Christian. I mean, that's his goal. His goal is to preach the gospel to every powerful person possible. And he says to himself, how can I do that? I need to go to jail. I need to go to prison and appeal my case to Caesar. So he's there on purpose. He puts himself in the place on purpose. And he is not going to waste a single second. So guards are coming to Christ. All of these other people are coming to Christ as they come and visit Him and witness Him and the people that are bringing Him food are coming to Christ and He's using this for the advancement of the Gospel. He's trying to get the most kingdom impact possible with His circumstances. It's a crazy outlook. An awesome outlook for us to take into consideration. Now, am I telling you to go put yourself in prison? No, I'm not telling you to do that. Will it afford you the opportunity to speak to the most powerful person in the world? Well, maybe I will then. Do you know what I mean? That probably won't. But do something where you can make a kingdom impact in the world around you. Do something like that. Verse uh, 18, continuing, And yes, I will rejoice. He's talking about joy. We see joy 
popping up time and time again in Philippians. And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. So I say, I know I'm going to get out. How? Through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I know you're praying for me. I know that God's going to get me out of here because you're praying for me. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He's going to rejoice in life and He's going to rejoice in death. Now, this whole joy, rejoice, we see these words pop up time and time and time again in the book of Philippians. What he's getting at, he's like, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. Eventually, he's going to go on to say, it's better for me to die anyway. It's better for me to die because I get to be with Jesus. But if I can't die, I'm going to do what I can now for Jesus on earth. I mean, that's the kind of attitude that someone that is absolutely 100% sure of their salvation, they have that type of attitude. That it's, it's actually better for us to die because we get to be with Jesus. He preaches this. It's better for us to die because we get to be with Jesus. But if I'm not dead yet, I'm going to do what I can to advance the Gospel. I mean, he preaches this concept. Now, some of you are looking at me like, what? It's better for us to die because we get to be with Jesus. But until then, I'm going to do what I can through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring more people with me. I mean, that's the concept. That's the concept that Paul has as he goes from place to place to place. And he preaches it time and time again, and that's the concept that he gets at here, especially in this verse 20, that Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And listen, any day, any day he could have come in, someone could have come in and just chopped his head off and said, you're done, you're dead. Right? So if you're in that scenario... You don't know whether you're going to live or die. You're thinking about this type of thing. He's thinking about it. It's on his mind and he's like, to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He eventually says this, this kind of concept that yes, it does not matter because Christ is being glorified in the things that He does. And only people with rock-solid faith and the reality of salvation have that type of attitude. So there's that, there's, there's that verse there. Um, that Christ will always be exalted in my body. And we have a new opportunity. Mars, come up here. We have an op- a new opportunity for you to use your body to serve Christ and His kingdom. And I wanted Mars to talk about this because this is his deal. I'm not a church deal, but this he's the one leading it. Um, and I'll let him talk to you about it. But the reason I, I bring him up now is because it's a new ministry, but also because of this concept that Paul was going to use his body, what God had given him, his influence, to influence the kingdom in whatever way possible. Whatever God brought his way, he was going to use his body, his resources, his time, his energy to advance the kingdom. And there's a way that you can help some of us do that on Thursdays. Go ahead, Marsh. Tell them about it. So, um, I'd like to give you a little insight real quick on 